0: Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO, and co-founder of y Scouts, Max Hansen. Welcome back to episode 77 of the Built on Purpose podcast, brought to you by Y Scouts. I'm your host, Max Hansen, the CEO of Y Scouts, where we find purpose aligned and performance proven leaders. Speaking of, today our guest is Trent Wolovec, Chief Commercial Director of Juicy Holdings and longtime veteran of the cannabis industry. Trent, welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast.
1: Uh, good afternoon, Max. I appreciate you having me. Looking forward to our conversation.
0: Me too. Me too. I had a. Uh, the honor of having a short conversation with Trent leading up to this. So, there's a lot of great stuff to talk about. But let's start out as we always do, we give airtime to your company. Tell us about Jushi. What's your current footprint and uh, what makes you guys an industry leader?
1: Sure. So, uh, Jushi Holdings is a multi state operator publicly traded on the CSE uh, for the time being, let's hope. Um, we've been public since uh, you know, June of 2019 and uh, operate in seven states, uh, five of which are now vertical with two operating uh, just retail. Uh, We are in Virginia, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, Ohio, Illinois, Nevada, and California. Uh, We are vertical in uh, five of those states as I alluded to uh, with retail in Illinois and California. Uh, as our two retail-centric businesses. Um, You know, Jushi is um, one of, if not the most uh, well-situated companies in the cannabis space for growth over the next uh, 12, 24, 36 months, as really some of our core markets are still um, in that medical uh, aspect uh, with, you know, Virginia and PA, um, Approaching a, an adult use marketplace here relatively quickly, uh, PA already one of, if not the best medical markets in the country. Um, you know, looking to to expand that, and then obviously with Virginia, um, you know, medical cleanup uh, coming and, and being implemented here this summer uh, with adult use on the horizon uh, no later than one one twenty four. And so, um, you know, we're uniquely positioned from from that perspective. Uh, we have a really strong balance sheet. The uh, equity markets uh, and the debt markets have really tightened up uh, obviously um, within cannabis, but even more so um, at at the macro level. And so I think um, we're we're gonna be continuing to have to look at and allocate um, capital in a responsible manner. Um, We have been one of uh, the top MSOs from, from that perspective. Uh, looking at markets and, and making strong uh, strategic and accretive uh, m and transactions that, um, you know, do right by the shareholders. Because, um, you know, quite frankly, the the original founders and, and a lot of the senior management team are, you know, the, the, the biggest shareholders in Jushi, which, you know, is another unique uh, thing for us versus a lot of the other MSOs. So, you know, like we like we like to say is, um, you know, we kind of put our we've put our money where our mouth is and we're going to, you know, continue to to protect the business and uh, do what's best, uh, you know, for our shareholders as as we kind of position ourselves, um, you know, looking forward uh, into cannabis at the national level, uh, you know, 22, 23, 24 and,
0: and, and so on. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. And then uh, let's dig in a little bit. I mean, if, if everybody talks about cannabis being dog years, like you're pretty old, uh, <laughs> given the experience that you have. So I'll just jump right in there. Uh, to, like start telling me how you got into the cannabis business. There's, we obviously we had an awesome conversation. So the yep. areas that I'll probably pull out just to remind you because there's, it takes so many turns for you. Uh, but tell me how you first got into the cannabis industry and then we'll kind of take it from there.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. I was, um, you know, lucky enough to get some exposure uh, to the regulated cannabis industry uh, extremely, extremely early on through my cousin, uh, who was an owner operator um, here in the state of Colorado. Uh, She had moved out here after after college and, um, you know, took the opportunity from, um, you know, an unregulated market to, you know, somewhat regulated market into a very regulated market and uh, with tight restrictions around Um, who could own licenses at that time. Um, You know, she kind of fell into an opportunity to to own some licenses here in Colorado, which uh, I helped finance. Um, And so, you know, really early on 2010, um, really got to kind of dip my toe, start to understand the industry or what it could become uh, from an entrepreneurial perspective. I still worked at, uh, you know, a consulting company at that time, and then transitioned into you know big corporate role at uh, Cardinal Health, a pharmaceutical medical supply distributor, and so you know kind of had my toe and kept my finger on the pulse. But at that time, it wasn't really an industry that anybody had really any assurances around. It was still kind of new and unknown. And so um, that's kind of how I got my exposure to it. And then uh, you know fortunate enough, I was able to. To move out west here with Cardinal Health, um, you know, really looking at uh, moving out of finance and getting into sales, um, and that lasted all of six months. As I saw, you know, the Colorado marketplace, you know, transitioning through a ballot initiative in 2012 uh, to a full adult use market in 20, one one 2014. Um, my cousin was lucky enough to have you know, one of the 10 stores open on, you know, January 1st, 2014. Um, and she was in a unique situation to where um, that store was in a little town called Edgewater. And Edgewater made the decision to um, allow businesses to stay open until midnight, which was the the state allowance for adult use. Um, it sat right next to Den- the city of Denver and the city of Denver made the decision to you know, close adult use at uh, 7 p.m., just like they did for medical. And so we had this unique little store uh, on Sheridan Boulevard that was open until midnight. Um, And I think we were the only store open probably for about the first three to five months of adult use. And so, you know, I was fortunate enough to be the the night shift manager for, for the first four months um you know I'd, I'd work my day job and then um flip to uh to, to managing a, a dispensary that you know was doing you know a hundred thousand bucks a day whereas you know before it was fifteen thousand bucks a day and so um you know a lot of growth a lot of unknown um and you know really cut my teeth in, in cannabis that way uh along that same line uh at about that same time uh, child resistant exit packaging was becoming a thing. And um, I ended up inventing and still in the patent today around a, a child resistant exit bag that, um, you know, was more specific towards cannabis than anything else that was out there on the marketplace. Um, and so, you know, kind of ran a parallel path, got that patented, um, and, you know, was able to stand up a company that, um, you know, did ancillary supplies, uh, nitrile gloves, 99 isoprop uh, to be able to sell in with my bag to operators, uh, you know, the picks and shovel idea to go along with with the operators since, you know, at that time, the big the big supply chain folks couldn't get into it. So um, kind of filled that niche. I got introduced to some gentlemen that were operators uh, here in Colorado that wanted to leverage their their expertise and their skill set to to help people win licenses and all the new markets that were coming online, um, whether that was, you know, Oregon, Washington, Arizona, Massachusetts, Connecticut, um, Florida, so on and so forth. And so, um, you know, they they wanted to and got approached by a, a individual uh, in finance and wanted to take that company public, but you know, they were cannabis guys and had no experience from that perspective my background is, is in finance. And so, um, ended up really quickly after inventing that child resistant exit bag, merging those two companies together. Uh, we went public, I think, uh, gosh, 2014. Um, and I became the COO of American cannabis company. Um, and we were out winning licenses, helping stand up programs across the country. Um, and you know, once, once we'd won that license, we'd help them stand up, get operational, sell them all their, um, equipment and, uh, ancillary supplies. And that was kind of the business model at the time. Um, and so I think by the time I left ACC, we had one licenses in like 13 different States. Um, and so, you know, that, that was kind of my foray into, into the cannabis space, you know, at that time, uh, the green solution, which was, you know, a very large vertically integrated company, um, here in the state of Colorado was, you know, a big client of ours with the the child resistant exit bag called the satchel and, um, met those guys. It was, uh, four brothers, two of which were twins. Uh, we were pretty much the same age. Uh, we kind of hit it off. We needed an actual operating partner on our, uh, Florida license. So, uh, they came in, they won we ended up winning a license and, uh, ended up joining. Uh, them uh, here in Colorado as the president of, of TGS National um, and helping the expansion of, of, you know, that business outside of the state of Colorado, uh, both here domestically and then uh, also internationally um, with uh, a client of mine from from my ACC days, Dennis Arsenal, who was, uh, you know, founder, former CEO, chairman of, um, of Organigram. Uh, we stood that up. You know, we were, run wild, winning licenses, doing our business here in Colorado, uh, Nevada, Oregon, Illinois, Florida. And uh quite frankly, we just, you know, ran into the um challenge of of raising enough capital to continue to grow the business in cannabis. Um and we were you know fortunate enough to to get introduced to Jim Cassiopo, who's now our chairman CEO of Jushi in 2017. And uh you know, that was kind of when he was bringing together everything that would eventually become juicy and uh, they ended up purchasing tgs national so everything outside of colorado uh, and i came over in that transaction in, in early 2018 and been running with juicy ever since uh, so that's about as the hundred thousand foot view as quick as i could do it quite frankly
0: that was fantastic that was fantastic when i when we had our initial conversation we have talked to some amazing guests uh, that have some great experience and even dating back pretty far. But I think w- the years that you got in and, and what you did and, you know, and all the different states that you, you know, helped win licenses. Uh, it's an amazing story. But talk about uh, I think it was interesting when you opened your Edgewater uh, dispensary, like people were driving 36 hours and waiting in line. I mean, what like explains just how busy that was. One hundred thousand dollars a day uh, you know, it was a lot of sales. I mean, what, what was that like being, uh, probably the only store, you know, that was doing those types of numbers I would assume in the country at that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, you know, we, we had a five hour window where, where we were the only store open in the world selling, you know, regulated adult use cannabis, um, which, you know, I, we took very seriously and a, a huge honor and, you know, uh, something that was super cool. Um, you know, my, my cousin, it was it was her store, her vision. Um, I You know, I just kind of got to be there along for the ride. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, that that first day, um, you know, people were driving from, you know, Maine all the way out here to, to Colorado to, you know, wait in a three, four hour line uh, to be able to buy, um, you know, cannabis. And I still remember to this day uh, out the door for an eighth was sixty four dollars and ninety cents all in. And we were having people wait in that line, drive that far and try to give us back the eighth. All they wanted to do was to have the receipt to be able to say, you know, we were there the first day that you could buy, you know, legal adult use cannabis. And so, um, you know, I still to this day, um, you know, take pride in that. And, you know, like you said, the cannabis industry has a lot of ups and downs and a lot of challenges, Um, you know, still to this day. But you know, being able to reflect on that um, and how far we've come as an industry, you know, get, gets gets me through uh, a lot of really you know hard and challenging you know times and situations uh, w- within cannabis. So it's it's really cool to see how far you know a lot a lot of work by a lot of different people um, has gotten us to where where we have so quick in you know eight years, quite frankly. So um it, it's it's exciting to see and and the reception from a a public um and societal shift has just been astronomical uh from from that perspective i i you know i had to whisper on an airplane you know back then of hey i'm going to set up and have a cannabis conversation in name a state um i was afraid to say that now it's like I put my earbuds in because i don't want to have conversations about it (laughs) uh you know when i go home or when i'm on an airplane or anything like that so that's it's been really cool to see that societal shift and and that education around what cannabis truly is um and not how it's been painted for you know the last 60 plus years
0: absolutely so you obviously continue to work your job at cardinal health and and we're doing the cannabis stuff obviously with your cousin What was it like doing both, and what ultimately led you to saying, "Hey, I'm all in"?
1: Yeah, um, you know, quite quite frankly, it it was um, really the affirmation of seeing you know that flip from medical to adult use, knowing that this was a, a, a real industry with a real upside and a real product that people wanted. Quite frankly, you know, the my product proving itself. I got my patent. I had ASTM approval. Everybody needed it. Everybody came to it. Um, and look, I, I, knew Cardinal health could service the industry. Um, and I worked super close with the, the president of my division. And quite frankly, our CEO of the medical division and kind of pitched them with this idea, and uh, they were like, yeah, we got to run this one up the chain and, you know, $120 billion business. I, I get it. They said no. And so that, that was something, you know, I've, I've always kind of wanted to do was the, the entrepreneurial route and, uh, just saw, saw the opportunity and said, okay, it's, it's time to go. Um, and, you know, that, um, you know, that, that kind of pushed pushed me into saying, you know, this, this is something real, um, that, um, is, is going to continue to push forward and in, in every single state, uh, you know, acro- across, across the U S. And so, um, you know, when I, uh, the athlete in me, you know, um, goes you know face first into into everything runs through brick walls um and and kind of allowing me not to to have that dedication or not putting my full full effort into cannabis because you you can't do it you know half-assed quite frankly um it's it's a 24 7 365 gig uh and i came to realize that really quick and that's you know that's what pushed me in into the industry because uh it was just necessary at the time and still is today quite frankly
0: absolutely and not to take the spotlight off juicy uh, but uh from our conversation what i gathered is all those different states that you were able to figure out the different processes in order to win licenses it sounded like went to you know probably just about every mso that everybody knows by name again we don't need to get into that i don't want to take the spotlight off juicy but i i heard all the states and i know all the msos in those states uh what was it like Uh, Like how different were all the processes and like, how did you guys finally figure out the right, uh, I don't even want to call it template because it wasn't necessarily templated, but sooner or later you had a, a, you know, functional system about how you went about winning license, but talk about how different it was in each state, what states were the most difficult, um, you know, maybe a a approximate number of different MSOs that ended up with those licenses that you guys, uh, you know, figured out how to win. Oh man. Um,
1: yeah,' I'm, I'm trying to think back. Uh, Connecticut became an MSO, a very big one. I, there's a big single state operator in Massachusetts that became one. Uh, illinois we we won with a multi-state operator. Minnesota was a became a multi-state operator. Um, you know, <laughs> New York is my one downfall. I was eleventh out of we were eleventh out of tenth. the Florida became an MSO. Uh, but yeah, like you know, I I think I think back then it was proving to the state that yeah you kind of did have the the processes, the procedures, the s the SOPs um, ready to be put into place. Uh, but you also needed that strong operator that had real capital uh, to be able to deploy uh, into that state to, to be able to stand up the business, and that's still a challenge today, quite frankly. Um, so I, I think. You know, for, for us back then, um, you know, kind of understanding and, and figuring out what was the most important piece, whether that was like a ground up build for your facility in Illinois or in Massachusetts, uh, you know, kind of doing TIs to an existing building, each state kind of had a, a special thing that it quietly wanted. Um, so that, 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 and finding the right local partner was, was like the secret sauce back then. Um, now everybody knows how valuable these privileged licenses are. And so, um, there's just a, a lot, uh, that goes into it today. Um, and, and a lot more challenges, but, you know, what, what I like to, to kind of, you know, circulate and, and, and stand on is, You know, we've seen all these programs, we've seen how they've been implemented, we've seen how they've succeeded and, quite frankly, fell on their face. And so uh, being able to leverage, you know, that existing knowledge and then bringing all that together to help, you know, states like Pennsylvania or Virginia or Illinois or Ohio or, you know, all these states moving forward, put the right program in place because you know, the existing operators will help support and stand up a market, but it's going to be all the new entrants uh, that come in that are going to, to really supercharge it. And, you know, quite frankly, right now, um, I'm not, you know, competing against a Cresco or a GTI or a Leaf or, you know, a Verano or a Leaf or, you know, pick, pick pick the MSO or pick the local operator. Um, you know, right, right now we're competing against the illicit market, quite frankly. And so, um i'm running a 40 yard dash and i'm starting at the start line and i'm running a 40 yard dash the illicit market is starting quite frankly at the 20 uh, 20 yard head start and running a 40 yard dash it's just it's tough to beat them when when the right program's not in place and you might as well kiss all the people goodbye that are now coming into the industry and so you know being able to make sure we have a fair, uh, fair balanced you know, legislation and and regulation, I think, is you know what what we need to start working on from a um, an industry standpoint. Quite frankly,
0: yeah. Are there any states where you feel like they their tax policies or their just their the processes how they set it up are helping compete against the illicit market better, or is every state kind of in the same boat? I mean, I know California's a little out there just based on some of that stuff they've chosen to do, and it made it a lot harder for legit operators. But are there any states like, I mean, you, you know it all, you've seen it all, that you feel like, hey, this state went about the, the, I guess, the best way they could to give a legit operator a chance?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's a crawl, walk, run method in, in every single market. You, you don't nail it right away, you know, whether that's medical restricted medical to met to full blown medical to adult use and then you know there's iterations all in between there and so yeah look look i think um it's been do- well documented in the state of colorado for example that when we flipped to to adult use price the supply hadn't caught up to the demand and so pricing was really high and the tax rate wasn't right you know we had 70% of the people in Colorado is still purchasing from the illicit or the gray market and 30% from the regulated market. That's probably closer to 85 15 now, maybe even 90 10. It, it just you have to kind of work through it quite frankly and then you got to you got to have people invest the capital um, into that specific state to to make sure there's there's the right pricing that you can compete against. You know, somebody shipping something in from uh, you know Oklahoma or California or you know said state um, here in the U.S. and or you know north or south of the border. Um, there there are very very low penalties now with decriminalization across the country in many states and many cities to where it's you know a slight slap on the wrist. Um, that doesn't that doesn't help either uh, for the regulated market. Um, and so you know I, I think. I think look, Illinois is a is a really good example of it's probably a five to four to five billion dollar marketplace, cannabis. Uh, in total, you're you're at about one seven to one eight right now of regulated cannabis sales. And so it's it's quite frankly, it's just that price gap. And you know, they have a 30 plus tax at the end sale to a consumer. Um, and people are getting scaled to meet that supply, so you'll get you'll see that get cleaned up, and you'll see that get closer and closer to a four billion dollar market. Uh, Massachusetts does it pretty well; they just didn't have enough um, stores off the bat. And same with Illinois, it wasn't enough stores off the bat to, you know, be able to really capture the the, the whole marketplace. And so, yeah, I, th- I think I think we're all. Continuing to figure that piece out, I don't think there's any one perfect state that's rolled it out. But we continue to get better. We're we're all flying the airplane. We're you know we're all building the airplane as we continue to fly it. I don't I don't think there you know there is any one said state that's done it perfect. We all continue to to get better and le- and leverage our our learning experiences
0: moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. You know one of the things we chatted about before, which I thought was interesting, was uh you know obviously you, you got to give yourself some credit which I think you do but you also talked about your age like you know you're kind of at the perfect age maybe the guys that you know you met in at American were roughly the same age where you're kind of still young enough to take a risk in case it didn't work out you could still you know go do something else and so I thought that was interesting I've never really talked about this on the show but when I look back and I think about you know the folks that have Stuck it out as you have through you know thick and thin, and really fought for some of these licenses and done some of the stuff you did. They are relatively young. There's really not you know not to say there's not some older guys now or older women and men. Uh, but I remember you talking about how much did uh, you being the age that you did play into like the dynamics of the people you ended up you know doing all this work with.
1: Yeah, it was um, like like you said. I, I felt like I had a good enough benchmark and underlying from my days at protivity and then you know big corporate uh, experience with with cardinal health where you know i'd kind of reach an uh, re- reached an apex of hey is this going to be my full career which i just didn't want to do um, but at the same time i could have gone back into you know big corporate and 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 kind of played this off as something hey i i just i wanted to do my entrepreneurial thing it just didn't work out Um, And so, you know, that was, you know, gosh, I was, I think I was 26 at the time, 27 at the time. And, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of like that now or never moment. And so, you know, right decision, uh, looking back on it now, but, um, you know, as we continued to grow the businesses uh, at at TGS, quite frankly, the green solution, um, you know, we, we were relatively all the same age. And so, as the markets continued to to grow and we couldn't access traditional financing, we had to go to you know private you know individuals and or you know family offices and so on and so forth. and and we just kind of hit a ceiling, if you will, because you know we we were still, you know kind of younger, inexperienced guys. And so um we kind of hit our our uh, you know like ceiling. and so we had to start leaning on older, um, individuals that, that had a little bit more experience from allocating capital or or had those Rolodex, if you will, to, to access that kind of capital. And so it was kind of just the the per the perfect storm. And you know as you alluded to, um, as the industry has become more mature and more stable and more real um, if you will, um, you know you've we've seen it at Jushi, um over the last you know 12, 18 months. You know we're we're hiring people like you know Leo Garcia Berg and Brendan Lynch um, from an operational perspective to where you know people with real careers are now looking at cannabis and saying you know it's time to jump in and you know those guys are top you know top notch operators something I'll just never get to and being able to take you know what was a subscale business and growing like crazy that. Now, scale it, um, I think, is something that is a very unique skill set um, that, you know, you're starting to see in cannabis um, need to continue to execute and grow on. Um, and so it's it's been kind of a really cool uh, evolution of people that come into the industry and people who are looking at the industry versus, you know, like you said, some of us, you know, crazy folks that have been in for a long time you know, we could take a little bit more of a risk because we didn't have, you know, a lot of responsibilities, if you will, from a, a family perspective or a career perspective or anything like that. So it's it's been cool to mesh all that together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And talk about, because I think everybody quickly forgets about, uh, talk about how different the and how much bigger the risks were in 2013, 14-ish, <laughs> a little bit before that. Uh, Yeah. Cannabis compared to now. Cause I think it, like I said, it's been, it's been so normalized in a way. And I know we have a long ways to go, but we had a conversation about this, like what things for you personally were different because you were in cannabis back then.
1: Yeah. Um, a hundred thousand dollars back then went a lot longer, uh, than a hundred thousand dollars today from a business perspective, period. Um, the cost of a business, the scale of a business, um, you know, we've, in vir- just, for example, in Virginia, you know, we've we've built out a facility that costs $75 million to date. And we'll probably pump in another 175 to 250 you know, getting ready for adult use, you know, $1,124. I like that's a, a an astonishing number uh, to to me or to anybody that's operated in the industry versus, you know, a hundred light grow back in 2013, 2014 you know, just the scale is, has, has exponentially gotten a lot bigger. And so therefore, you know, the automation and all the equipment and technology and running that is, is just skyrocketed. Um, You know, that's on the business perspective. Um, You know, personally, gosh, I don't even know how many banks I've been kicked out of. That doesn't really happen anymore. I got booted out of TD Ameritrade. That doesn't really happen anymore. Um, You know, I can't, I can't apply for a loan for a car, even though I had as much cash left on the loan in my bank account. I had to have my dad co-sign for it. Yeah, that was That's a little embarrassing from time to time. Um, and so, all, you know, all those things on the personal side, um, you know, I, I think have continued to lax a little bit. Um, and so I'm not uh, the, the, the the spotted leopard, hopefully, anymore. Um, or people that come into the industry are, are spotted leopards anymore uh, because it's it's now viewed as a, a, a real legit industry, at least at the state level. Uh, and we're working obviously towards the the federal level as well.
0: Got it. yeah, I know that's, uh, man, it's crazy, uh, crazy how time has changed uh, in normalized stuff, but it's really good to see as well. And you guys, you know you talked about this, uh, you know, bringing in some professionals that have, you know, come from some other industries that have really understand scale. Uh, You mentioned uh, Leo Garcia Berg, I think he's your COO, if I'm not mistaken. And then, you know, you guys are um, just from uh, where you guys are headed. You have, was it 248,000 square feet uh, Q1 of this year? And then approximately moving that to 330 square feet by the end of this year. Were those numbers right?
1: Yeah, that those are, um, you know, kind of on our grower processor side, Um, you know, scaling up as, you know, our core markets, which which is Virginia, PA and Illinois, Um, you know, in in cannabis, it's not just you flip a switch, press a button and you produce more widgets. Um, I think that's a, a misconception. It's an agricultural crop. And so you have to very carefully and strategically execute on scaling Um, Your facility, along with how the maturity of those of those states are coming, those programs are coming, and so you know we we've done that extremely well, and and we're kind of in that ramp up phase right now for um, PA and VA. um, You know, good mature medical markets um, that you know when you see a flip to adult use um, on these East Coast states, you know you're talking about you know in 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 Virginia we have like a 50 BIP, um, you know, acceptance rate from a, a, a patient perspective versus the total population. Typically that gets to about, you know, three to 4%, uh, for a mature medical market. That's kind of where we're at, um, in, in Pennsylvania. And so when you flip to an adult use market, you know, you're typically at, you know, 10 to 12% uh, of acceptance versus the total population, uh, that are going to use cannabis. And so, you know, you're talking about, a you know, a 4x at least in Pennsylvania, and you're talking about got a 20x in in Virginia, and so um, having to get to that scale to be able to supply um, and, and be one of the big providers early uh, to get that return on capital that you're putting in there is super important. And so you, you, you mentioned Leo Garcia Berg, uh, who comes from you know McKesson and and then you know 10 years at ABM Bev. Um, Being able to scale a facility that's going from, you know, 50,000 square feet of canopy to, you know, 100,000 square feet of canopy to 150,000 square feet of canopy, um, all the processes, procedures, um, you know, developing what what we call like the juicy way uh, to have those all standardized across the multiple states that we operate in at that scale, you know, is something that, you know, He and and our national team are are working extremely hard with the, you know, the local teams, the local operators uh, to make sure that, you know, everything is dialed in and and standardized as we continue to to scale um, to to meet that demand that's, you know, coming in those, you know, those two markets. Um, And and then, you know, we made our acquisitions in Massachusetts and Nevada with existing operators. That we hope to drive efficiencies um, in, and 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 have those markets, you know, continue to to scale as those mature in that kind of adult use versus um, illicit market sales um, in, in in those states. As as you see price compression come, but you know you're eating a bigger piece of the pie.
0: Right, right. And you guys, uh, your goal is 50 stores by the end of two, uh, 2023. Is that is that right? Correct. And so,
1: you know, with, with that comes obviously scale. Um, and, and Brendan Lynch is, you know, our EVP of, of, of retail. Um, you know, he took anthropology from two stores to 177 stores. And so, you know, being able to, um, operate in a retail setting, um, is not the easiest thing, um, in in the world. And so, you know, being able to, um, you know, have that and, and go from, you know, ten stores to twenty stores to you know now we have thirty-two operational stores to fifty stores um, is uh, you know another monumental task that you know it takes people, period. Um, and, and that's you know number one, number two, and number three within this industry that I think a lot of people miss it. It all comes and stems from um, the the people uh, that that work in the facilities that are you know whether that's forward facing from a retail perspective, because you know, we have to ed- continually educate people, um, manage people at scale um, in, in retail, but also you know grow and produce standardized product on, on the GP side, um, it all comes back to, to the people. And like I said, we are kind of flying the plane as we build it um, s- from the regulatory side, legislative side, but also from the business side. There is not one single person in this world that has grown 150,000 square feet of canopy in a rate in a regulated cannabis market. There, there's just not, um, or maybe there's one or two, uh, but you know that that's within another MSO, um, and so uh, you, you can't pull from a bench, if you will, and so we have to continue to um, work and refine, you know, the, the processes, the procedures, the SNOPs, and and you can only do that with with people um, and, and managers, strong managers, quite frankly, um, w- within those, you know, both those channels, if you will. And so, you know, with Juicy kind of early on, you know, playing catch up with a lot of the other MSOs that have won licenses, you know, we've, you know, done ours pretty much exclusively through MA, Um, but we've also focused on, you know, retail first and, you know, retail is going to continue to lead, um, for us as we continue to move forward. It's, you know you kind of flip on the lights you have to have the right experience um a, an omnichannel experience quite frankly um within cannabis and and all of retail for that matter but but really in in cannabis um and, and we're going to continue to to do that and you know scale from that from that perspective and then we'll back into the up upstream supply chain
0: got it well I can't wait to see it and speaking of, uh, you know, you spent a big portion of your career in cannabis and, and I always get into this at some point in the show. Talk about like your personal usage of the plan. I know you're a college athlete. So talk about like, uh, you know, how if your usage, how you use it, or if you use it, those types of things. So I think most people assume, hey, this is an OG from the cannabis industry. He's definitely a burner from back in the day but yeah. I don't think that's true. So tell us like about your, your kind of personal journey with cannabis. Yeah.
1: I, 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 um you know, quite frankly, I'm, I'm not, I was never a heavy user. I didn't even use cannabis for the first time. Gosh, until I was in college po- post my athletic career. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I didn't come up through um, you know, the, the, the cannabis industry per se, the, the underground uh, you know, aspect of it. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, a little bit different from that perspective. Um, but, but then, you know, as I, I came out to Colorado and, um, you know, saw the, the, and heard, quite frankly, heard and saw all the, the qualitative, you know, aspects of cannabis and then starting to use it, uh, you know, for personal consumption, uh, I'll be the first one to say it. I'm, I'm a lightweight when it comes to cannabis, you know, five, five MGs and I'm good. And, you know, ten mg's, and I'm, you know, woo. I'm a little squirrely, um, which is a lot different than a lot of other people. But, but we're all different, um, you know, from that perspective. And so, um, for me, I I use cannabis to to relax uh, and go to sleep. Uh, I have a hard time, you know, sh- shutting down the mind from time to time, just because you know we've been running so hard, so fast, uh, and, and growing so fast. Um, being able to take a step back and relax. Um, is is what I personally use uh, can- cannabis for. If I'm out in a social setting uh, and cannabis gets into my system, it, uh, it it gets it gets a little antisocial for me. I go find the couch, and I quite frankly could fall asleep if you know a DJ was playing or a loud party was going on. Um, that's just that's not my thing for for cannabis. i I also consume alcohol, and and so that's kind of my social aspect, and then. Uh, cannabis from a, a relaxation sleep perspective. So, um, it, it, it's different for everybody. And, and look, I think we're all, you know, continuing to, to use it and understand, uh, the plant from a, a different perspective, uh, both on a, on a pain, on a pain aspect and over the counter aspect, uh, an alleviation aspect. And, you know, what, what I like to tell people all the time, you know, somebody that was, you know, pretty addicted to pain pills back in high school and, and into college tore my, tore my hamstring that, you know, that's pretty much what ended my sports career. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy to think about how opium has, you know, fortified molecules that we, you know, use to, to build up all of our, you know, pain pills and, 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 and stuff like that today, even today, um, cannabis has, you know, 120 some odd plus, um, you know different molecules that that we know of today. That that'll continue to expand, um, but but really being able to um, find out and understand how each one of those would formulate into you know being able to uh, help alleviate some some form of some form of qualifying condition or thing you want to get rid of. I think is you know just getting scratched, and so I I think we have a long way to go to continue to understand um how how cannabis is going to uh, continue to to influence uh, from a societal perspective but then also i mean from a uh, an adult use recreational perspective um would i rather consume cannabis or would i rather go drink a fifth of vodka um you know no no calories in cannabis no hangover with cannabis um and so you can see all the you know the aspects of of why i think you know cannabis with the you know my generation and younger is is really starting to to catch on versus you know alcohol use or, and or some other you know forms of of you know stress relief anxiety relief so on and so forth so it's a really kind of cool aspect that i think is just really kind of uh scratching the surface of, of where we're going to be you know moving forward for cannabis
0: yeah absolutely and uh, I won't necessarily hold you to this, but I ask this often, and I think you're the person, the per, per, perfect person to ask this question. But where do you see the cannabis industry in five years? So I'm, I'm pushing it out there on purpose, a ways, but like, where do you see it in five years? I know this is a this is a hard one. Everybody's like, man, I don't know. It's taken so many twists and turns, but you've been in it for a long time. Uh, I I can't wait to hear kind of what you have to say. I don't know how how far you'll how much detail you'll get into, but. Where do you see in five years? Well, you you
1: know, if you go back five years ago for all my interviews uh, in, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016, I was dead wrong then. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, you know, now uh, predict five years in the future so I can say, oh, hey, see, I was kind of (laughs) right all the way back in 14. But um, yeah, look, I I think, uh, you know, from an industry perspective, um, you know, I, 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 predicted that, you know, flower would kind of drop to like 30, 25% of the market uh, from a product form factor perspective. Uh, I was wrong on that. Uh, I don't think you're going to see flower. And when I say flower, I I include pre-rolls into that drop much below 50%. Quite frankly, Uh, flower is going to be king and will continue to be king. It just will. Um, And so I think you know, a lot of the form factors are are gonna remain the same. I think that's been determined. Um, and so, you know, vape's another uh, big thing that I think will continue to be a very big thing. Um, infused products are are there, um, you know, I think those are gonna kind of continue to be where they're at, which is, you know, 10, 15% of the marketplace, maybe that stretches to 20%. Um, so I think, you know, from a form factor perspective, it, it, that's kind of been determined. Uh, again, the formulation, I think, still has a long way to go. Um, and so that that's on the consumer side, I guess you could say, and really how how I, I see that going. Uh, you know, cannabis in general, I think you're gonna, you know continue to to see, you know states have to take a leadership role in um, progressing adult use programs uh, in each one of their respective states, um, putting a program that works for them. Uh, because I don't think you're going to see um, much movement from a federal level on full legalization for for adult use um, at at all. I definitely don't think you're going to see any interstate commerce or anything along that lines. I think you're going to see, you know, incremental uh, wins at the federal level, starting with safe banking uh, sooner rather than later, um, you know, in the next Maybe six to twenty-four months, um, and 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 that'll kind of be a, an incremental step. Uh, it just has to happen. Uh, I think at 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 the federal level for midterms and so on and so forth, a lot of dynamics in play there. Um, but um, you know, I I think you're going to see still status quo for the next, you know, really thirty-six to sixty months, and by that time, you know, you're going to have. 30 plus states that are going to have some sort of adult use program. And then at the federal level, you're, you're just going to kind of get uh, a wiping of the hands, if you will, to say, we're going to leave it to the states. And uh, so, so be it.
0: Man, that's a, that's some pretty good detail. And and it makes sense what you're saying.
1: Yeah. and, 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 and look, to add one more aspect to that, these states are, you know, having billions of dollars invested into them from an infrastructure perspective uh, for their cannabis programs. Uh, They have, you know, tens of thousands of of jobs being created within the state. Um, And they're garnering hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of tax, you know, as they continue to ramp up to adult use. And I just don't think at the state level, uh, state legislators are going to let that Go very easily because of federal normalization. And so um, I, I think that's going to be much harder nut to crack uh, than a lot of people think.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, tell me about, like uh, personally, like what personal habits, daily routines, rituals have made you a good leader and business person today? Is there anything you consistently do that you feel like? has benefited you to be very productive and continue to drive uh, the the businesses that you are?
1: Yeah, I I think, um, you know, kind of twofold. Um, And I'll I'll start with, you know, a little bit of the entrepreneurial piece and and the building of the business piece, because that's a very different mindset versus I think now where we're a little bit more of a mature business, we have, you know, 1500 plus employees. you know, on, on the entrepreneurial side, kind of startup world, um, setting goals and expectations, and then you know running through any and all obstacles uh, to achieve those goals is something that you know is very you know near and dear to me, and, and something that you know it, it you kind of put the blind you have to put the blinders on in cannabis because there's always these new shiny objects that that pop up. Um, and I'm sure in other industries too. Um, but but staying focused and, and executing on on driving to those you know three to five goals is something that's super important, both you know short term goals, but then long term goals as well. Um, that's just what you have to do as an entrepreneurial or or startup um, individual. Um, and and you know now as we continue to to build the business uh, and expand. Um, you know, being able to, to let aspects go that have, you know, people that have, you know, built careers around uh, and knowing when that time is uh, to, to be able to, to bring in the right person to, you know, continue to scale the business um, is is super important as well. I think that's why we've done so well at Jushi. We, we kind of know when to let things go. Um, as a as a management team and bring in the right people to continue to execute and scale the business. Um, so I think I think from a personal level that that's super important to, you know, be well aware of and be able to to admit to that, if you will, that it's it's time to bring somebody in that can can continue to grow um, that aspect. Uh, I, I also personally, um, you know, have very recently you know taken up you know, breathing exercises and finding time to just spend 15 20 minutes um, you know centering myself and, and being able to to a, relax and clear the mind of any and all things that are that are going on and so um, you know found that to be super helpful
0: and and what what do you do outside of work none of the breathing anything else you do outside of work that over time as you've matured as a business person to help you stay balanced and can you know productive and not overly stressed about uh continuing to drive businesses as aggressively as you have been?
1: Um no, it's been work seven, 365 for the last <laughs> uh, eight years, quite frankly. But uh no, when when I do catch a break, uh, you know, golf and skiing are are two big, big things for me. Um, I'll still network on them, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, trap travel is a big thing along with travel is is reading. Um, so being able to to kind of catch a break. Uh, and read on on the on the plane or or you know at the beach on and so forth, but um, you know ne- never losing focus on on the business has has been something that um, you know ha- has treated me extremely well from a a startup entrepreneurial um, you know asp- aspect
0: quite frankly. Got it. And this is this is truly the final segment here. We uh, we have a leadership model for hiring that we use at Y Scouts to evaluate great leaders, and the buckets they fall under is relentless learning, developing others, and driving results. And from the relentless learning perspective, who or what has been your biggest teacher along the way?
1: Um, I I I I think you cannot uh, discount going out into the field and seeing the business actually grow and operate and understanding the bottlenecks and the challenges that you know the individuals that are within the organization have each and every day Uh, also going out and looking at other businesses and trying to learn best practices from them you know having those conversations especially in cannabis um you know we we are building an industry from ground up and, you know, being able to have those open and honest conversations with, you know, people that, you know, and trust uh, from other organizations, I think is, is something that's, you know, super, super important. Um, And then, you know, for for me, you know, being a younger individual um, in in the space and, and, you know, having to, you know, continue to see the business ramp up, um, you know, working with people like, uh, Jim Cassiopo, who's our CEO, who just, you know, quite frankly, sees things different because he's experienced uh, the hedge fund and distressed debt, um, you know, aspects for a very long time, uh, how he thinks about business, how, you know, John Barrick thinks about business, who's our president, um, Eric Moff, former vice chair at Deutsche Bank, one of our founders, um, you know, thinks and and, you know, Spins up capital like like nobody's business, um, you know, and then Dennis Arsenal, who, you know, um, built a real business in, in cannabis and, um, you know, continues to, to help support us uh, t- today or me specifically today. Um, you know, again, knowing when you have kind of hit that ceiling, but knowing that you have the opportunity to go higher and, and leaning on those folks and learning from those folks um, as you continue to progress in your in your career. Um, is is super important, uh, but also at the same time, uh, like I said, you know, not losing you know that ear to the ground of of you know what's actually happening with within the business is is super important
0: as as well. Awesome, awesome. And what, uh, who would you say, who or what has developed you most in your life?
1: Um, I, you know I I got. You know, my family first and foremost, you know, my mom, my dad, um, you know, them being able to 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 give me the support, um, you know, all the way up through college and even today, um, you know, has been a, a huge, you know, win win for me. Um, you know, my cousin, Brooke, who got me into the industry, um, you know, take, taking that risk, going out on a limb, introducing my parents to cannabis when, you know, cannabis was like still faux pas. Um, you know, has been a, a huge um, ease for me on <laughs> getting into the industry when I was like, hey, I'm quitting Cardinal and, and getting into the industry, um, you know, and, and, you know, having her help me, you know, develop, you know, the relationships and, and within the industry uh, and just being a, a really good role model for me from a business perspective. Um, and then, you know, every everybody, quite frankly, everybody, I've met along the way in cannabis that's continued to help, you know, drive this industry, um, you know, all the way back from my original partners who who believed in what we were doing, um, to you know Eric Moff, who uh, you know former found who's our founder, former you know president John and Jim, um, you know those guys have really helped me, um, you know, take cannabis uh, but then supercharge it into you know, real life business acumen. Um, and, and and that's just been a, a huge win for me from a a, a personal perspective. Um, I get blamed for being like the gas pedal guy with uh, within um, you know the organization. and I get told all the all the time that I'm you know way too optimistic um, on certain things, but they they help me dial that back in and, and really think through. Um, you know, the the downsides of, of a lot of things that quite frankly I was just too naive to understand as a you know a, a young business person that just you know kept pushing and pushing and pushing. So um, you know, I, I owe a lot to 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 all those
0: guys as well. Got it. Yeah, you surrounded yourself with some amazing people. Congratulations. What 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 would be your biggest success to date? I mean, if you're the gas guy, and I'm kind of like that too, I don't stop as much as I should to celebrate wins. But like, if you could, what what would be a good win when you look back? At like, what was a point that was significant for you personally uh, that you achieved?
1: Um, I th- I think it would be the turning point of Jushi is when we were able to acquire the grower processor and three stores um, to vertically integrate in Pennsylvania um, through COVID so uh we were able to to purchase that from uh vario um but also during that time um we were able to raise money and and get people to trust us to you know put money to work in cannabis when you know we went public at 275 we were down at 70 cents and um you know that's been a big thing i I go i go back to all the you know i go back to all the work on getting states to, to flip into a program, medical, uh, adult use. Uh, and I still have a, a few more states to go on, on that front, but we'll get there in PA and VA. Uh, and and you know, I'm gonna continue to make sure we put as, as many people in the right position to succeed in building a cannabis business uh, so they can create generational wealth um, off, of, off of the plant. Uh, and so uh, a lot of work left to be done. Um, and so I think once once PA and VA get done for adult use, um, th- those are going to be my, my 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 coup de gras, if you will, on, on, you know, getting the first, you know, southeastern state uh, to, to implement an adult use cannabis program will be pretty cool. I'm super, super pumped about getting that that one done for sure.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Trent, you've been an amazing guest. Like I I could go on for, uh, just, you've just shared so many awesome things. I want to, uh, thank you for your time. Um, and hopefully we'll be, I'll I'll keep up with you on the progress of, uh, these other States and milestones that you're talking about. Um, you've been listening to the built on purpose podcast brought to you by Y scouts with Max Hansen. You can find all of our past and future podcasts at white scouts.com. Thanks again, Trent. I appreciate your time. And, uh, Best of luck until the next time.
1: Thanks, Max. Have a good one.
0: Thanks for listening to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7 wherever you get your podcasts.